Welcome to Act Your Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Tasia. And I'm Corinne. And today we are talking about the Shadow and Bone series, the entire first season. And we are joined by our Grishaverse alumni, Jesse and Aubrey. Hi, friends. Hi. Hi. This is very exciting to have us all here together as though we have not all kind of discussed it in one way or another off air here. Yeah, it feels right to have us all together for this. Like we've we've gone through this huge Grishaverse journey together. So it only it only felt right to bring you guys back for this one. It did feel right. So we're very excited. And both of you have been here like in recent weeks too. So we really appreciate coming back again to talk about this year. I should note for for those of you who can't see us, we all are wearing like basically the same thing with like some minor um, caveats, all gracious verse stuff across the board. So that visual I think nerds. is important for you. <laughs> yeah, we are nerds, <laughs> but it's 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 great. That's who we are and we're just embracing it. This is our time. So unlike our normal episodes, we're not going to do obsessions or anything or any sort of summary. We're just going to dive in today. I think this is also our only obsession. Again, don't want to speak for anyone, but like the obsession is real. So, and again, we are discussing the entire series, the first season. So if you don't want to be spoiled, probably stop here. And I think on that note, too, I was trying to think if there's any way we can divide book spoilers. I don't really think that there is. I really want this to be kind of like a natural conversation. So full spoiler alert for anything up to and including Rule of Wolves. I know it only came out a few weeks ago, but I think there actually is stuff that comes up in that book that the show has some ramifications for. So sorry, we're going to be talking about it all. So proceed with caution. And I guess on that note, guys, let's just dive in. I think we're going to try to talk first about the shadow and bone book stuff and how that played out on the screen. Then we'll move into the crow stuff. And I don't know. Here we go. Aubrey, why don't we start with you as someone who was on our shadow and bone trilogy episode. And I think the longest, the longest tenured Grishaverse fan amongst the four of us. What were your thoughts on all the Shadow and Bone stuff? I mean, I thought it was really well done, honestly. I think the changes that they make, I mean, first of all, we all know that I don't like Mao in the books at all. And I think that they do such a good job of getting you in his head and also sort of fixing some of the teen things that he had, that he's just such a likable character. And it's just so nice to see all of those characters, even though you are still focused on Alina, but to not just be sort of stuck in our head. I think they do a good job of expanding that as well. But mm-hmm. man, I just, I loved it. I loved seeing it come to life. The Keftas looked amazing and Alina's power didn't look the way that I, I think I had mentally thought of it, but it still looked really great. Just the idea of the Sun Summoner. And I think yeah, I think they did a really good job with her story throughout those first few episodes. So it was really exciting to watch her get to go on that journey. And of course, Ben Barnes is perfect as the darkling. <laughs> it's kind of incredible the glow up that Mal got, right? Like, mm. I I never hated him in the books, and I always did want him to be with Alina. But I could still admit that he had issues like there was a lot of jealous pettiness there there was a lot of immaturity there between both him and Alina but they both got such the glow up they're so mature Mal just he loses all of that petty 
shittiness and is just kind of perfect. I love I loved him so much. So Jesse and I live in the same city and are both fully vaccinated and watched the entirety of the show together. So I think she can attest to my reaction to all of the male stuff in the first couple episodes because I think I was having like a full on breakdown. I was like, wait, you've got to be kidding me. He's so hot. They have such good chemistry. Their chemistry is like crackling good. Uh, And as a noted Melina Shipper, who was probably too forgiving of some of his flaws when we discussed the books here, I was just eating it up. I was like, this is going to kill me. Like I can't, I'm not prepared to like feel this intently about them, but I was in tears over them by like episode two. I (laughs) I don't know what happened. The flashbacks were really Mm -hmm. just so well done. The mirror images of the, of the two of them. Oh gosh. I just, I really loved everything about that. And yeah, like he definitely got more of a personality and the, the jealousness just wasn't there from really either of them. It was more about like their connection, whether or not they were together versus apart. Um, I do like, and I kind of, I don't know if I said it on the pod or elsewhere, but I I was hoping that they would maybe get rid of the Zoya Mal hookup as a source of conflict. And I'm pretty sure that they did. I mean, she comes, she like flirts with him and he's just like, nah, but then she, kind of hints to Alina that maybe they did have something happen. I don't think anything happened. I think, that I think was she's just, just trying to poke at Alina. Yeah. I think that's, that's just the way of being a mean girl. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, no, I, all that stuff really worked well for me. And I just, I really loved all of the Alina stuff from the beginning. I think all we talked about this before too, how they decided to make Alina half shoe in the show. And I thought that that was all really well done, especially how it goes to her motivation for wanting to have a place to belong. Cause they really did a great job of like showing how ostracized she was because of who she is being happy. And even when she started to become renowned, like she would see uh, actors portraying her and murals and stuff, always portraying her as like white and blonde. So I think they, they handled all of that, that stuff really, really well. Was, it was, and she was just like funny too. I've never would have thought of Elaine Starkov as funny. Really. I mean, she <laughs> saw the actor a little bit later in the book. Awkward. Yeah, no, she she was really just gave her the injection of personality that I feel like I really mm-hmm. needed from Alina in the books, and it was just yeah, all that stuff was, was really well done, and in a lot of ways, really faithful to the books. I thought, like at least through most of. The, the episodes um really we got changes then like from from the darkling stuff which we'll talk about in a few minutes but all that followed and and tracked really well and yeah it was just it was really good sorry (laughs) no no go uh, the show really benefits from not just being in Alina's perspective. Um, the books tend, I, I'm one of those people that found Alina sort of uh, annoying and naive um, in the first book and getting outside of Alina's head and seeing how other people view her the way that the show does. Uh, I just thought that it made Alina's character. It was a, you were able to highlight Alina's character and her strength um, going forward and highlight her arc, um, which is a lot clearer in this first season than I think it is in the first book. Yeah, so let's talk about her arc because I really loved some of the changes they made then in the back end when it came to her in this book. 
a lot more agency across the board when it came to the Darkling and just generally. So that was really great. And then the end, her decision to leave is not motivated just by running away and trying to avoid. It's to regroup and come back bigger, better than ever. Just such a good change and not something I actually honestly ever thought about when it came to the first book. Like it never bothered me that they ran away because they had like gone through a lot of shit and didn't seem like a great situation to be there. So much more empowering to have her be like, okay, we're gonna go regroup. They're hunting me right now. Like gotta hide out for a bit, but I'm I'm gonna be back. And I liked that change a lot. Yeah, yeah. there's no intention to like actually hide. It's just like you said, it's about a regrouping. It's about preparing herself to actually be able to confront the darkling and and be able to fight him. So I think that was a really good change too. Yeah. And one of the things I feel like someone on Tumblr pointed this out to me that I do really like is that, you know, in the book, when Alina first uses her power, it's because Mal is being taken by the Volcra. And then when she abandons the skiff at the climax, it's because they're leaving Mal behind in the fold. So all of those decisions are really tied to that relationship. But in the show, when she lights up in the first part, she's the one being taken by the Volcra. Mm. Um, And then at the end, it's about, reclaiming her power and fixing something that happened. It's not all about that relationship with Mal. And I think it makes Alina more complex. Like that relationship is still very important to her Mm -hmm. and they do a lot to emphasize that, but her motivations are not completely driven just by that romantic relationship. And I really appreciated that choice in the show because I just think it makes her a stronger character. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. That's an excellent point. I also, on kind of that same note, I really appreciated while the relationship with Mal was so important at the end of this season, they're not like really in a romantic relationship. Yeah. I mean, you can tell that they both had these very intense feelings for each other and for reasons they didn't get together. But so much of the first book is them like finally getting back together as they're tracking the stag and kind of confessing how they feel. And that doesn't happen in the show. And I kind of like that because if they're going to remove a lot of the conflict between them, the teenage angst conflict, which I think it would be a huge regression to go back to some of that after some of the things we got this season, that is a much nicer way to build their relationship via like external conflict, which there's a ton of, um, that is going to be an impediment to them, probably. I mean, you can't really just stop and be like, hey, here we are. We're going to have a, a good time together here. We've got other important things to do. So it's going to be nice to have them have a more like natural chance to breathe and not have that more artificial, immature conflict, hopefully, going forward. Something that I think is interesting with her arc that's definitely in the books, but is reflected better in the show is when she's first having that conversation with the Darkling and she says, can't someone else have my power? And the Darkling gives her that opportunity. Like, I can take your power. I can own it. Didn't you say that's something that you wanted? And then she pushes back on it. And it's a really nice moment where she comes to terms with her own power. And it's interesting in the context of the entire trilogy, how at the end of the trilogy, she doesn't have the power, but so many other people do have her sun summoning power. And also it made me think of the conversation that Alina and the Darkling have in Rule of Wolves, where he's he's just so shocked that she's okay not having her power. And it's it's very fascinating the way that I'm I'm it makes me very curious about the way the show will handle the end 
of the trilogy. Um, if they will have Alina not have her powers anymore, how they'll come to terms with it. Um, it's just such an interesting thing that the books do with her power that always never sat really well with me until that conversation in Rule of Wolves. And to have it so clearly spelled out for you in the show, um, it makes me very curious how they're going to handle that. That leads me into thinking about like just kind of grand scheme things of where this show is going when it comes to the amplifier stuff and the search for the rest of them going forward, because it's, yes, a big plot point, but not in a lot of the same way. And I think for me, not, I don't want to say where things went off the rails, but where I was kind of like, oh, where, what is happening here? Where are we going with this is kind of how that all shakes out in terms of this stag at the end and, the Darkling putting the amplifier on her and all that's just like a little different from the book. And I don't know like how are, are they still going to be searching? It was kind of like unclear to me as to how that was all going to change. I don't know. Well, I assume they're going to continue searching just because getting the it's like the sea serpent right the amplifier it's such a great introduction for Nikolai and and also to bring the darkling back into Alina's story so they don't know presumably at the end of the show that he's actually alive so I would assume that he makes himself known and goes for that amplifier so they go up for that amplifier to you know beat him to it and I don't know Nikolai something (laughs) did they okay this is a me problem I because I hate the apparat. I think just every time he came on the screen, I just said, "Oh, this fucking guy again," and then like looked at my phone, <laughs> which is like really bad of me. But like, did they talk about the other amplifiers? It's in the book. It's in yeah. the book, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No. Oh, they. Oh, and they, the one that they, they showed the, they the showed. book, yeah. and you see all you see the serpent. Okay, got it. Uh, but they don't say it. A lot of the show, <laughs> there's a lot of really important stuff that are only for book readers, which is very interesting. <laughs> There's a yeah, lot of like yeah. hints and signs that only like book readers would understand. Well, I do think it's like accessible for everyone. It's not confusing, but a lot of these breadcrumbs are literally only for us. Like they don't say the serpent out loud. Like it's just mm-hmm. if, for, if you know, you know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what I can't remember too is in the first book, before she finds out about like who the darkling really is and what his thoughts are, did they have discussions about the, like about the stag and so he's kind of already put her on their path, but that wasn't at all really talked about by them here. So I do think, I mean, as someone who's actually read the book a couple of times and I still was confused, okay, where are we going with that? So I imagine for season two, when they go down that path, they'll have to do some like exposition bombs or something. Cause I was like, wait, like we didn't really like talk about the amplifier as much. And all of a sudden we're going for it. And then I was confused too, like why Alina was having visions of the stag, like her whole life. I was also confused by that. Yeah. That. I wonder if it's the nature of just the way Netflix runs because they didn't know that they're getting us. They still don't know if they're at the time of yeah. recording, they don't know if they're getting a second season. So they wanted to put in the breadcrumbs that we as book readers would know, but they do have to give some sort of resolution at the end while also teasing that there is more to the story. But if they had said, here are all the amplifiers, here are all the, like the, what what is the, like the term for like the MacGuffins that we're all have to like yeah. go and get that it would leave too many things left hanging and people would be too unsatisfied yeah. at the end. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's just like the nature of the way it had to end for Netflix. That makes yeah. sense. 
And I yeah. think it also makes sense to have Alina kind of dream about the stag for her whole life because then when she makes that decision, because they hadn't discussed, she hadn't really discussed it with the Darkling at all, like she had in the books um, about the nature of like taking the the stag's life and all of that. And uh, I think it made sense for her to have been dreaming about the stag so that when she got to that point, she kind of knew that killing the stag wasn't the the way to go. Yeah. And she made a different choice, but because she ha- already had a connection to the stag. Yeah. I just wasn't sure if they were trying to say that she had some more like magical connection to it, but I, I, I like it more as an idea of kind of like a prophecy of like, this is something mm-hmm. eventually you'll encounter in your life. And I guess that and, like it chose her. Right. Yeah. One of the things too, I'll be interested to see, I guess, as I go through, like, I'm going to rewatch the whole thing with my husband who's read the Six Crows duology, but not Shadow and Bone at all and see what he thinks. Because one of the things to me too, now when I'm going back and looking at it, the turn, like the reveal of who the Darkling really is, I don't know how much, how well that landed or like, was it enough to motivate her to leave? Because we don't have this discussion about the amplifiers and what his intention is to use them. And so you don't really have that same moment of Bagger being like, no, he wants to use it like on you to do these things. I'm trying to remember, like, did it work for me because I know what's going on or did it actually work or did it feel abrupt? What did you guys think of that? I felt like it was abrupt in the book actually. So yeah. I remember distinctly being like, why are you going to believe Bagra? Like, who is she to you? Like, I, yeah. I, I remember thinking that, like, why are you believing it so readily? Yeah. Uh, so it, it worked for me the same way in the show, which is to say like, okay, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's my feelings on it too. I mean, she goes from like in both the book and the show from like making out with the dark lane and being like very into him to just being like, oh, he's going to make me a slave. So I got to run. He's going to do yeah. something evil. And it's just, yeah, I don't think they fixed that in the show. Okay. They just yeah. keep that as abrupt as it was. I, Bagra is so good in both the book and the show. I thought mm-hmm. the depiction and, and she really is someone that Alina comes to trust. Whereas, yeah. I, I mean, they don't really cover her sense of isolation as much in the little palace because she's, she's so such good friends with Nadia and, and everybody, which is what happens mm-hmm. in the books too. But I do think coming from Bagra, it carries a lot of weight and in a very efficient amount of time in both the book and the show, you're supposed to be like, okay, this woman knows what's up. She's out. She's going to look out for you. Listen to what she says. Yeah. Plus it leads to a very fun scene where Jasper gets to watch Alina sneaking into the trunk of the carriage. High comedy. It was so So great. Well, I think that then leads into, I think, probably the biggest adaptation thing that we were all like waiting for bated breath for was, you know, Ben Barnes playing the Darkling. How's it going to be? And I'm so excited to chat about it with everyone because I have my thoughts on it. And Aubrey, you talked about it a little bit as our like number one Darkling aficionado. Any other additional thoughts on why you loved him so much? I mean, I think. Ben Barnes knows what show he's in and he knows what he's doing and he just commits to the role so well. You know, that moment where, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later too, where he says, you know, his iconic line, like, fine, make me your villain. And there are tears in his eyes. Like you can see them glistening there when he says it. I was just like, okay. He makes you feel that there is some vulnerability there. Like the surprise when Alina kisses him or the way that he you know, runs back to kiss her before he leaves after like that makeout scene. Yeah. Even and then like the anger 
that's in him. I just think he plays all of those emotions really well, uh, sort of like across the board. And you can see why people would be so drawn to him. Like he's very magnetic. And I just thought all of that came across really well. Yeah. That he's not just like, I don't know, evil. That you don't see him and think like this person is evil. You think this person is powerful and ruthless. But, you know, all of that sort of comes later, the way that it sort of piles on. I don't know. What did you guys think? So I, like, am very, very detailed on the record on this podcast. I'm not liking Darkling in the books because I thought it was too much and not too much evil and not enough softness for me to, like, feel any of that or to feel his motivations. And I agree we got so much more of that here. And it certainly has to do with Ben Barnes. Like, I'm totally, like drawn in by him he's so good at humanizing the darkling and this i don't think is his fault but i feel like there was almost too much of that like i wanted more like of the ruthlessness back a little bit like for instance after alina leaves and he's like searching for her yes he's like in towns trying to find her but he lets the crows go he's just like i don't care about that he also like in that moment there's this kind of like funny comedy scene a little bit where David like raises his hand and he's like, no, David, you don't have to like raise your hand. But it's like, in my mind, the darkling, the more like the darker insidious side of him should be coming out more like in those moments. Now that the grand reveal has happened where he has like some darker motives. And I didn't feel like there was quite enough of that. And I don't think it was just Ben Barnes. I think it was like some of the things like that scene where they're having him do things. And I was like, wait, this makes it almost kind of feel like Alina was wrong to leave him. And I was like, well, I, don't, I don't, so something about like the villain revealed like afterwards, wasn't really like working for me. I didn't feel the same fear of him. The same. It was like, it was like, he was too humanized for me. I don't know. I can't win with the darkling. But I, <laughs> I think for me too, after reading rule of wolves, we got so much good stuff. And I'm, talked so much about how much more I liked it because you got the unrepentant side of the darkling plus some of the more humanized side of the darkling in rule of wolves, which was so great and rich and rewarding. I felt like it kind of like neutralized him a little bit. Am I alone? I don't know. I don't know. Jesse, Tasia, what do you think? I fully expected to like be simping for the darkling after watching this because I do love Ben Barnes and he's great. He is great in it. But I think there is kind of a weird disconnect here because he is kind of so much visibly older than the rest of the cast that he feels very separate from them. And I I wasn't able to connect with him on the, on the level that I really wanted to. I will say though, that the scene where he and Alina are making out on the desk is pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I think the dark Ben Barnes is the darkling worked. It sounds like more for me than it did for for you all, or maybe not Aubrey as much as <laughs> uh, I'm. I'm I'm more on, on Aubrey side of the thing of the spectrum. I I I think I remember hearing. I remember if it was on your podcast or separately that they had originally cast someone else as the darkling, but had but ended up casting Ben Barnes because they needed someone with a little bit more like gravitas. I mean, this is a person that has lived multiple lifetimes who is so skilled in the art of manipulation and has lived under multiple Kings. And, and a lot of his evilness is a little bit more insidious maybe because it's about mm-hmm. manipulation and like 
yeah, I love the scene with him making out with Alina in the room, particularly because Alina is the one that kisses him first. Yeah. He wants her power, but he doesn't necessarily want her until that moment. And he's surprised by her. And I love that moment so much. Mm-hmm. But and and she does ask for consent. Like he does stop and ask her, but he's lying to her. So that consent yeah. can't be it's not informed. Really, it's not informed consent. And there's that moment where he's interrogating Mal and he asks her his uh, Alina's favorite flower. And then he brings her the flower. <laughs> and it's a funny moment, but it's also so insidious. Because yeah, it's, it's so, so bad. Mad. And there's um someone, I saw this on Tumblr. Someone juxtaposed that scene with this quote from Six of Crows. Many boys will bring you flowers, but someday you'll meet a boy who will learn your favorite flower, your favorite song, your favorite sweet. And even if he's too poor to give you any of them, it won't matter because he will have taken the time to know you as no one else does. Only that boy owns your heart. And it's clearly like talking about that quote from six of crows and it's like showing you instead of telling you. Um, so I do agree that they, I think they had to make Ben Barnes's darkling a little bit more accessible to yeah. viewers, uh, especially because they want this hypothetically to go on for multiple seasons rather right. than a tr- the trilogy. Um, but there is one moment I wanted to talk to you guys so badly about the reveal of his name being Alexander, because that's yeah. such a moment at the end. So of the early. Yeah. And they just like blurted out. I mean, it like robbed that moment of all of its yeah. gravitas. Like I was like, we're doing this already. Like I was shocked. It's like he gives that name to anybody, but he yeah. doesn't. He gives that name very intentionally to her. Yeah. It also goes too into like the whole general general Kurgan thing doesn't make sense. Jesse and I were talking about this afterwards. We're like, so are, are like, are we gonna call him the dark? Like, who, is he the darkling? Like, are we allowed to call him the darkling? Is the show even like really calling him that? I mean, Mal refers to him as like darkling. Fearden's call him that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. He's almost never referred to as the darkling in the yeah. show, which is so weird to me. I don't yeah. know. I don't know why they went with that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm bummed that they that 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 moment is not saved for the end. And he's I mean, just I guess like he's trying. Alexander. He's trying to like butter her up. He's trying to win her over. So yeah. I do get the moment of sincerity because I think like the best way to lie is to like inf- have it based be, be based on a truth. And right. so he's giving a little bit of himself to Alina and endearing himself to her, and it obviously works. But it's such a big moment in the books that it. I think it's just going to land not as well for anyone who's read them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and, I agree on that. And we were talking about the, the issue of gravitas and why they cast Ben Barnes, which I do think he has in spades, but then like you, you do that and like you're stripping away some of the gravitas of the darkling and who he is and like the, the aura around him by humanizing him. I do like it though, from a perspective of like essentially trying to like groom Melina and get on her side and that all of that leading up like the flower part so insidious to me i did see like one tumblr post be like oh my god he's such a cinnamon roll he went out of his way to like find her flowers i was like okay yeah <laughs> friends like that's not what he's doing like oh my yes, god. he does like her and we get scenes of that and all i think all of that stuff worked really well for me of seeding some of like the insidiousness of him it was more the after the reveal that was i felt like a little too too soft for me um, so I, I guess I do like the Alexander thing from the point of like trying to like build a rapport with her for mixed motives in a lot of ways. And I think we also have to talk then too. And I, maybe this is why some of the, the later stuff landed is too soft for me, which was this flashback we got at the beginning of episode seven. Because <laughs> we always need, yeah, I, I need to so hear it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Aubrey tells everything. Oh my gosh. I mean, that flashback, I mean, it's not, obviously it's not the way that the fold is created in the books. Like it's not canon. Um, and Lee has said that and that's fine. But I hate, I mean, first of all, I hate that they like introduce a girlfriend and then immediately kill her. Yeah. And I read interviews where the showrunner is like, you know, we don't want Frigene and Lee's like, Frigene doesn't belong in the Grisha verse. And they don't, they don't think they fridged that character. And I'm like, you a hundred percent fridged her. They fully but, motivated him by killing his girlfriend. That yeah, is I'm so like, dumb. this is the definition of fridging. Like, mm-hmm. and it was just so frustrating. And I also don't like that. There's an implication in that flashback scene that then the reason the Grisha are being hunted in Ravka is because of stuff. The darkling did. And not just because of like prejudice. Prejudice. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, none of this makes sense. And I like, I feel like totally throws off some of the parallels between like the Darkling and Nikolai or like the king that the Darkling initially serves in Nikolai. And I get it. Like they said they couldn't do Demon in the Woods because they were having trouble casting younger characters and they really wanted more Ben Barnes. And also like having a kid in freezing cold water was not great for their budget mm-hmm. um, and that it cost too much. Sorry, I read a lot of interviews after I watched no, it. Oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. And all of that makes sense to me, but I just think the way that they chose to do it, like, doesn't work for me. Whereas I think the way that the Darkling creates the fold in the books where he's just like looking for more power as part of his search to like make Grisha forever safe in Ravka as he's like established this army. It's just like that constant search for power as a way to like be the savior that causes him to create this and not this sort of like moment of panic where like they're all being attacked. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I think it, that part, sort of uncomplicates him or complicates him in a different way but yeah not yeah, the I same rich rewarding like backstory it. in any no. way and i think that again that is why then it kind of feels like they're drawing so much sympathy for him it's like oh the darkling lost his previous girlfriend and now like alina is also leaving him like poor darkling left alone again and i don't want to feel that way about it because i have my own issues with the Darkling as a character in a lot of ways, but also like I, it's not re- as rewarding storytelling. There's so much natural conflict there. It's yeah, it was, that was really frustrating, really surprising. And it, it was amazing again, as we were watching it together, we were so like Jesse and I were, were so into it for so long. And then that happened. We were literally just like paused and we're like, wait, what is going on? Like it was so jarring. Everything was trucking along so well for six episodes. And then we're like, huh? Yeah. And the wig is really bad. We talk a lot about the best Marvel villains and the ones that are the best are the ones that have good points, but go about it a different, a bad way necessarily. And I think the Darkling is one of those people because he has good reasons. He's looking out for the Grisha. He wants them to not be persecuted anymore. And that's great. We all you know, hypothetically want that, but he's going about it this horrible, devastating way. And what I like about his original backstory, or even not even just the literal backstory of him being the amplifier and everybody being out to get him, is just being alone. Like he's, and that's why Rule of Wolves and that conversation with him works so well for me because he's just like alone and he's just like, he, he doesn't understand why Alina could be that person who would just be with him, not even necessarily romantically, but just because he's so tired of being alone and because he's other, not even, because he's a Grisha, but among the Grisha, right. because he has these powers and because he's an amplifier. 
And to just give him this girlfriend story is so reductive and it makes it not about Grisha and about making them, you know, safe. It makes it just about him and his personal vendetta. And I, I really didn't like it. And I'm, I'm surprised they did it. I, I, I remember Corinne, you mentioning that like Tasia had said one of the worst forms of motivation is like romantic. It's just so yeah, we were just talking level. about that with like Nina and Hannah in Rule of Wolves and how that's just, it's a weak motivator. And yeah, that is really, that was really frustrating too. And again, it just like strips down so much of the, the, the nuance and the, the, yeah, the, the good reasons why he wanted to do things. And I think then too, that's an interesting thing to talk about too, with respect to kind of why he hints at why he wants to expand the fold, which is not so much about like dominance and power, which is a big theme in the original trilogy, but more like kind of because there's this pending Ravka in like civil war, like this, the West Ravka politics stuff was way more, it's not in the books at all. I like remember, I mean, in the books, it's no. more about like establishing trade and like making sure that everyone in Ravka gets what they need from the other side. And that's why they want to like get rid of the fold, but like giving the motivation of like quashing rebellion in West Ravka again, takes away some of the insidiousness of the darkling, which is what I think is really needed to have those two halves of him, the, the save the Grisha side versus like the power side. What do you guys think of that? I feel the same. I didn't like that. They gave him an extra motivator for completely decimating that town and, and doing a genocide because this whole time we are and, and even like not being necessarily on the darkling side, you know that these people that are trying to like secede from Ravka and build their own country, like they're bad dudes. Right. So when he goes and he just decimates this town, he's taking these bad guys out. So part of you is like, yeah, they needed to go. So I, I don't like that. They gave it that other motivation there because then you're like, well, is it so bad that he did this? Like, yes, it is bad. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if this civil war with West Ravka is going to be a major plot point in Nikolai's story, because in Rule of Wolves and King of Scars, it's a big deal that there's this other Landstaff heir, that Nikolai is a bastard, that they're, the Fjordans are grooming this other heir in order to rule Ravka as like a puppet uh, ruler. And so I could sort of, I could easily see Nikolai's storyline in a future season, Um being about that and i'm that's the only really thing that i can think of why they might have done that to see future storylines because i didn't think it added much other than giving the conductor a reason to want to kill alina yeah Yeah. i think in king of scars or rule and rule of wolves i feel like one of the things he's dealing with is that there are west rovkin separatists that like Mm -hmm. they've been so separated because of the fold that some of them are just like why are we continuing to be part of this country so it feels like they just brought it up earlier yeah so i guess i wasn't as upset about that i mean regardless like he's still whether or not there's a separatist movement i mean he's still demonstrating his power on a lot of innocent citizens of his own country well that's why i'm glad zoya was there to be like my aunt lives there and because if we hadn't had that, really, well, all you're seeing is a, a like a military force yeah. on that coast and you see them get taken out. You don't necessarily realize that there are other people around there. So yeah. I think having Zoya's perspective in that moment to 
be like to, to show like there are innocent people there. My aunt's there. I think that was important. I really like giving Zoya that motivation explicitly in, in the show versus when you, she just all of a sudden shows up on Alina's side. I mean, it makes sense because it's Alina's POV in the books, but all of a sudden Zoya's on her side and you're like, you were such a bitch to her before. Like what happened? And you do eventually get it and you get her point of view and King of Scars and she becomes such a beloved character. Um, but I'm glad they made it a lot more explicit yeah. here. Mm-hmm. I think it was necessary. Yeah. I love Zoya hugging her and being like, I still don't like you, but yeah. you know, okay, so Alina was- hugging Zoya and Zoya, Zoya being like so stiff and awkward about it. That I, that was to me the scene where I felt like Zoya was the most Zoya. I wanted her to be bitchier, honestly, throughout the entire show. I don't like that they gave her, I mean, this is part of the complication, right? Of, of, making Alina half shoe. I don't love that they gave Zoya a like kind of racist anti-shoe line at one point. Especially because we know that she's half yeah, that didn't track now. for me. Like, but like maybe it's her like trying to repress Projecting. that own side of herself. So like, but overall I wanted more of her like to be bitchy throughout. Cause that's like one of the things I like love about her. And then I don't love that there was like this moment of like sexual history between her and the darkling. Aubrey, you told me off air that you had a friend who kind of always read that into their previous. Relationship. Yeah. I know a lot of, I, there's a number of people like a friend and I were talking about it, that in the community, I think particularly like the dark Luna community have felt like that was implied in the books that there had perhaps been like a sexual relationship there that that was part of being the darkling's favorite i don't love that either yeah and i think that they could have like left that out and made it less explicit because i don't like that i like that zoya's jealousy in the books feels like it comes more out of like power and place Mm -hmm. and belonging which is something that's obviously very important to her when we get her backstory Mm -hmm. in king of scars and rule of wolves about like what her family tried to do what her mom tried to do to her yeah and making it about like a romantic relationship just feels a little bit pettier. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. yeah that's just having Zoya like repeatedly throw herself at dudes in this story. I was like, what? Like <laughs> throw herself yeah. at people and, and get rejected. Throw herself at people and get rejected. I'm like, why, why are you <laughs> just like yeah. diminishing Zoya in this way? I, I didn't mind the Mal scene because like, yeah, was good. I didn't yeah. feel like she was diminished. Like he's clearly terrified of her. And She's and just I liked like, in that moment where she fun, was like, no. "I just like to do this." Like it's the night before a battle, and yeah, yeah, you know, girl. Like, I, I like that. Like get yours. Yeah, but then I don't like her like prostrating herself to the darkling, mm-hmm. and, like just yeah. like offering herself up like that. I it didn't feel Zoya to me. The other one, her interaction with Mal felt like Zoya. Her interaction yeah. with the darkling did not. Yeah, clearly, who? What? I, my favorite part about this adaption is just the heart and soul that the adapters put into this like they they love the characters they know them just like us like there are other adaptions um that rhyme with like sherry shotter that i don't feel like love the characters as much or like plan the full arc but clearly whoever wrote these scripts had read rule of wolves um because there's when they're in the palace and you see a Nedge performing and they're looking at her and zoya's line like she's suli and then at the end the moment that uh, Zoya and Anesh have it's just it, it it felt so much more rewarding because we had read Rule of Wolves. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah they definitely uh, 
it felt like they knew the whole of the Grishaverse in a lot of ways, but that, and I think that's why we're all, I feel like we're like hypercritical and I don't think that that's what we're trying to do. We just like have so much love and obsession. We like, we're like leading with, we haven't we started talking about the crows. Yeah. Yeah, we're no. leading with the criticism no. apparently. Yeah, yeah, no. And it, it's just because we care so much about the characters and that's why it makes things then like Zoya throwing herself at the darkling that makes it feel like, wait, like I thought you knew her really well. I thought you knew these characters really well in that sense. Like we get frustrations, but like, I guess on that, oh, let's talk about like the things. Oh, wait, no. Before we do, I think the last thing we need to talk about for like serious like adaptation changes was the collar and the amplifier and how all of that shook out. Because at first I was so disturbed by the physical, like the way the the collar like this like comes out of her skin it looks so gross although in retrospect now i've seen on tumblr because this was a very fun zoya moment it felt very zoya where she blows out the candle with like her wrist flick and you see her amplifier at that time and it is coming out of her skin it's not just like a bracelet um so that's the the thing that they did but what i liked about it is that it really when it comes to lean in the darkling it really shows what a violation it is and the lack of her consent for that was I thought like a really strong choice in that moment. I read an an article where they were explaining uh, why they did it like they did. And I, and they said there were two practical considerations. One, they didn't like the idea that someone could steal an amplifier if it was something that was like a piece of jewelry, which is whatever. And then number two, that from a costume standpoint, the costumer was just really concerned about having Alina in this collar that they couldn't take off the entire show essentially so i think the customer stepped in and and sort of said maybe you can consider another way and they had like a colors thing but then the actress that played alina jesse Mealy, said that it was more comfortable to have prosthetics so there were practical concerns that came into it but then they had quotes from lee as well as the showrunner saying that they liked it for all the reasons that Corinne just articulated that it was just so much more horrifying and so much more of a violation. And then for her to accept it is a really big, strong moment where it sinks into her and becomes part of her. So narratively, I think that it does make sense and they have good reasons, but it, it also sounds like there were practical considerations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it is like horrifying to look at like that sort of body horror. I've never hugely fond of, but, um, I think it works. And I, I think also, you know, the idea that we get later in King of Scars, that an amplifier is should be more than just something that you use to get more power, that you actually become like one with whatever you take on as yeah. the amplifier, um, that having it actually become a part of her really kind of seeds that idea that it's about like a bonding between you and the the creature that was the amplifier beforehand too. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it really tracks with what we end up finding out about amplifiers as we get more into that kind of lore. My only issue with it was I thought that the prosthetic itself just looked bad. Like it it looked like it was like spackled on by silly putty. So I think, I think maybe just a little bit more in like the, the practical effect of the thing would have, would have been better because I just, I just didn't like how it looked, but I did like, I like, you know, for every reason that Corinne already mentioned, I think it was a good yeah. call. Mm-hmm. I love that scene with her in the Darkling event. This was the Alina Starkov I always wanted. The Alina that pushes back so strongly against the Darkling in that moment, saying, you could, we could have had this. We could have had this equality. 
but no, you have done this horrible thing. And it's such an empowering moment. And I, I loved that for her. She knocked it out of the park. She was so good. I loved everything about Alina in this, in this show, like her agency. It was great. And I think that's a good segue into talking about everything that we love from the trilogy stuff, because like it really did, you know, I've been down on the trilogy before on this podcast and I like loved everything about it. I was kind of concerned that I would be so antsy for Crow's stuff. And I was because I like love them, but like that, I did not feel like I, uh, was less interested in the the trilogy stuff at all. I I was really into it. It was all so good. Jenya, I like loved her. Minus again a terrible wig, but like she was great. Like such personality, like so fun. The little David and Jenya stuff that oh they seen in there was so good. That little so smile good. he gives after she turns back around, I like squealed. Just yes. everything with David is so painful. Having read Rule of Wolves is like, know. you know exactly what you're doing, like putting this book out a month before the show and then yeah. having us having to have us like deal with it. And, and David. David's complicity, like in putting on the necklace is even harder to watch than it was to read. Um, and if I hadn't had that scene in Rule of Wolves where he tries to make up for it and then his death, like, I think it would be even harder to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that actor, like I have to say, I mean, last summer during the pandemic, watched his um, Three Musketeers where he plays D'Artagnan and he's like this swashbuckling hero and like just this romantic figure. And then seeing him play David, who's so different from that sort of character, like it was really, man, props to him, to Luke Pascolano. Um, Yeah, the casting, I think, for all of the the trilogy characters was just so good like just like little characters who i particularly when it comes to the first book i have very scant memories of like marie and nadia and ivan and fedior like i and now i'm never gonna i i i kind of remember marie one of them dies in the attack in the second book like they kind of changed some stuff with that too but i can never keep any of them straight it wasn't until like the crew that sets out with alina in the third book like those ones i remember but um, no, like everything was so good. Um, let's talk about Ivan and Fedor because that's like a thing in the books and I'm obsessed with it. I loved them so much. I what mean, like unexpected treat. Fedor is in particular like so good. I mean, that moment when he finds her like at the down at the little carnival and he tries to be like Ivan and scares them and then it's like, oh, we better go before my better half starts looking for us. And then when he's feeding Ivan the cookie at the party, I was just like, I love you. Can we just, such a sweet little moment? I just like, want to protect like, you. So good. I was obsessed. With, yeah, no, that was just like, it was such a surprising delight. I couldn't have loved it more. Like I felt like real sadness when which one dies Marie um, Marie, yeah, Marie is the she doubles, doubles. and she dies. That was really sad. Uh, yeah, I just thought everything was really um, like a good balance of like humor and like seriousness of all of that stuff, and it was really good. I'm glad they gave Jenny that moment with Alina, um, where Alina, because when Jenny betrays Alina, it's such a horrible moment, and you really don't understand the gravity of it until later. And so for Jenny to spell it out to Alina, being like, I really didn't have a choice and I'm taking this opportunity and I don't care if you judge me. It was really powerful. And I'm glad that they explicitly said it, let her say it now. I mean, it is devastating in the trilogy, but that's when you know that you have two other books. Yeah. Um, 
Well, and I can't remember too, is there a similar scene? I don't think there is in the first book where we have in the show where Jenny's like, be careful of like powerful men. Like just, she's mm-hmm. kind of like warning her without like explicitly warning her. I can't remember. She talks about how they're all drawn to the Darkling. Like everybody is drawn in that sort of like romantic sense to Alina, which I feel like it's maybe a little more explicit in the show, but I think there is some subtle like warning, like this isn't necessarily like a real or good thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember something like that, but I'm not really sure. Well, whatever it was, it worked for me in, in the show. I think I'm stealing this off from you, Jesse, like in the books that she's at the little palace for such a short period of time. It would have been fun to have like even more of this that I'm here. Like, I like a training montage. Like, I could have used even more of those. But I still like liked all this. Whatever sets in Budapest, like, looked beautiful. Um, there was definitely, you could tell, like, where they skimped on the budget on some stuff. Like, the CGI and the wigs and things like that. And where they didn't. But, like, they just had some really great sets that they found in, in Budapest. And it looked awesome. Should we talk about the crows? Let's talk yes. about the crows. Let's oh talk about the crows. Like, uh, talk about like exceeding every expectation I could mm-hmm. have ever had for something in my life. I mean, I can't. I don't even know where to start. Well, I've said this multiple times at this point, but I'm going to say it again because it bears repeating. I love book Jesper. In love with show Jesper. Just could not so be a more charismatic person. Fine. Kit Young needs to be a star. Like he he brought Jesper to life completely. And even amplified that like Jesper is already such a, a big flamboyant character, but he increased that somehow. I don't know. I'm just obsessed. I'm obsessed with Jesper and his goat. And oh my gosh. Milo, <laughs> Milo, the true star. Milo, the, the goat. Oh. How endearing was all of that. And then like the, at the end when Mal uses them, I was like, yes, Milo. Like, I was like, I did Jesper. not. You gotta be kidding me. I messaged Jesse and Corinne. I was like, I was not expecting goats to play such a part in this show. Like, I really was not. I need a giant poster of Kaz, like, angrily walking down the street holding the goat. (laughs) I can't get the image of Kaz Brecker with, like, that serious face and with those cheekbones carrying a baby goat throughout the city. Like, I I can't get it out of my head. I love it. Tattoo it on my face. Yeah, it's, like, really interesting to me. Like, we've talked at length on this show about our love for Kaz and Inez. Just so obsessed with them. And... You know, for me too, like visually, both of the both Amina Suman and Freddie Carter, it's like plucked from my head. Like they're such perfect casting. And Jesper is like, oh, okay, like cool. Like Kate Young, don't really have any thoughts about it or expectations. And just in a show that Kaz Brecker exists, like that Jesper is, I think, my favorite character. I, yeah, color me surprised. I mean, like he was just so good. Every, like, I can't even pick a favorite moment. Like, from from episode one, just so good. What a charm bomb! Like, they're I not was even like, just yeah. good to watch. They're not even just as good individually. It's together. They yeah, have chemistry together, together as a friend group, yeah. as a team group. It was incredible. And that's what I really loved about uh, Jasper and Inej. They got some really great scenes together, oh, and and like the the kind of teasing each other and and the quiet moments they had together. I really loved it because I think the best thing about the crows is that they all have these individual relationships with each other, um, different kinds of relationships with, with all of everybody in the group. So them seeding that really early with um, Inej and Jasper having like a very distinct relationship of their own in the show was really good. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and like ahead. that moment where Inej calls him Jess and Kaz is like immediately jealous and is like, he's all like, it's silly for friendship. <laughs> it's like, like, no, no it's, it's not. not. <laughs> Just so perfect. Yeah. I did not expect Jesper to be my favorite. And like, honestly, I think he was my favorite part mm-hmm. of the show entirely. So charming. Yeah. How we are they talking about like Nikolai? Yeah. Like, that's my concern, right? Exactly. We already have this incredible. I mean, Nikolai is a different kind of charming mm-hmm. than in a lot of his is like wit, which is a little different than Jesper. Like Jesper is just like, he's flashy and like does a lot of stuff. Nikolai is just like, it's banter and it's, that's, it's a little different, but yeah, they've got tough shoes to, to fill to have them be like different enough. It's, it's going to be really good. Yeah. Their connections all together were really great. I, I think one of the more subtle changes in terms of their relationships though, is the Jasper and Kaz backstory is definitely different than the books because it seems as though Jasper knows something about Kaz's backstory, which nobody knows in the books, but I kind of like it. I like the idea that like someone has a little bit more knowledge of who Kaz is. And I like the idea that he has like someone kind of in his corner a little bit. And Jasper's kind of a Kaz hype man in this, in this book or in the show too, like he has that scene at the end with Inej where she's thinking about leaving and he's like, you know, well, I tell you to trust Kaz, but he's Kaz. So like, he's kind of like keeping them together in a lot of ways that I liked. So it's, it's a change, but like, it doesn't bother me. What do you guys think? I'm not sure that I really like that Jesper knows, but only for one reason. And that is that it felt like a really big thing, like a really special thing that Kaz had only told Inej any of his history. Like that was like a really special thing that he shared with her and it and it spoke to the level of trust he has in her and the connection they have. So him presumably sharing some of that with Jesper kind of, I don't know, it took a little bit of that away for me. So much, but then we don't know why Jesper knows anything. It could be a lot of assumptions. It could be him just observing Kaz and being like, "You obviously have some sort of vengeance issue," which that I'm fine with. Yeah, Yeah. so much that speaks to their own connection. So much of his backstory is so internal that it's so hard to. I mean, in the show, is shown that they do a lot of really good subtle things um but with kaz it's so much in his head because he's just thinking about it constantly and doesn't actually say or do anything about it so i think it's the show's trying to be subtle and and point it out like okay there's it's personal with kaz and pekka and for all we know jesper just knows that uh although he does say like did he recognize you so I, they they smoothed Kaz out a little bit, which is ridiculous to say about a character that we see like beat the crap out of people with his cane on screen and like be like you know very awesome. Um, but they they smoothed him out a little bit, I think. Yeah, yeah. Another thing I kind of missed was Jasper's being sort of in love with Kaz. I think. I mean, it's not important to any plot or anything. I just sort of liked that about Jasper. This this crush he had on Kaz. So I would have I would have liked some sort of hint about that. You know, I my read on that with like Jasper is that Jasper and I feel like the show kind of hits this home too. Is this Jasper's kind of like one of those people who's freewheeling with the love. Like we get that with mm-hmm. his romp with the stable boy, and like he just. So for me, I never necessarily that was a fine thing in the book. Like it did, 
it, it felt like more like Kaz was just there than verse versus like he actually had a deeper connection with him. And then we get the deeper connection with Wylan, but like he just seems like that type of person who's just like, I have love to spread around and like who <laughs> who can I like direct it towards now? So I I'm good with with getting rid of that. But I do agree on like smoothing out Kaz. You know, this is like so nitpicky. Like when you're someone who spent like hours, like we all have discussing Kaz Brecker at length in his backstory. Like these are the things we think about, but like there are just some things that don't track to me. Him being able to like be beat up by Pekka is like inconsistent with what we know about him. From I the did books. not like that. No, yeah. no. I mean, he takes down like 12 people single handedly in Cricket Kingdom, like while he's already like wounded. Like that, I didn't necessarily love. I also was just confused on like where he is, like power structure wise within Catterdam and like the Crow Club. It seems like you know, Pear Haskell doesn't exist and has already owns the Crow Club, which is something he has to work for throughout all of the duology. It's one of his biggest arc like moments is when he actually takes that all of that over. But here, he must already have it because he's able to give it up for collateral, right? Collateral, so. Yeah, that's yeah. weird. So it doesn't really necessarily matter. I'm fine. Hey, let Kaz be like the most powerful guy already. I'm fine with that. But like then don't let him be like beat up so easily. And like, you know, it is his origin story, but we're we're kind of missing some of like the steps along the way, I guess. Um, if we're already at some of these p- huge plot points. But like also on the other hand that was very satisfying like i always thought all the drugs were also teenagers and so to have like roddy come in and it's like an old ass man like being like hey boss i'm like this is very satisfying for me to see this right now like my little teenage kaz brecker just like commanding men around i like it i have no perspective when it comes to kaz like i was just like he's probably one of my favorite characters in fiction like of all time and so just the minute every time every second he was on screen for my first watch I was just like riveted like every single thing that he said and I know so much about him that I'm just unable to separate my knowledge of his backstory and how much I love him from the depiction on screen I think Freddie was Kaz was exactly look looks wise like how I pictured yeah. it um there are some moments where I was like we Kaz like do that like I don't know and getting beat up by Pekka is one of them but it's just I kept waiting for some flinch or something of him like being touched by someone and flinching like it's there like in the moment where he hesitates giving Helena the the handshake taking off the glove so methodically you don't see his hands ever it's there but if you're not a book reader it's not there at all Mm -hmm. yeah um and it's so subtle and the book just so the show adaption just so many good things subtly this was like almost too subtle that I think they clearly were not they made an intention to not show it is my only thought here. Right. I think it's going to be kind of a, a problem when we get to later seasons and we need to more firmly establish that Kaz has a touch aversion and he's got a lot of trauma behind that because it's going to feel kind of out of nowhere because they didn't, I think, seed it well enough in this first season. It's just going to, it's going to feel like, like I said, like it's out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. The I think just even can't... a couple more comments, like somebody mm-hmm. commenting on the gloves and, and and his, like the legend around the gloves, all of that stuff, like any comments about that would have been enough, I think. It makes yeah. the scenes with him and Inej like less loaded because you're like, why won't he be with her? It's like, well, because and I think if you're just a show watcher, you would think that he just like 
is stubborn or, but like, is if you read the books, you know, there's so much more loaded in like why he can't be with an edge, like why he can't be honest with her, why he can't go the extra mile and touch her. And it's just such a rich, beautiful backstory that I just want everybody to love him as much as I do. So it's so frustrating as just as a book reader to like be in, you know, conversations with show watchers and be like, don't you just love Kaz? And they're like, yeah, he's like, great. He's very smart. He's capable. And you're like, no, but like trauma. And they're like, you know, I just like, I want that so bad for everybody to understand like my boy and I, it's not mm-hmm. all there yet. So I just, <laughs> yeah, cause the- I think without some of that backstory, he is too harshly drawn a character almost. I mean, for somebody who hasn't read the books and, and just seeing him on screen with the very little that, I mean, cause he doesn't have a ton of dialogue and stuff. You're not getting a lot of internalization from him. So without that backstory, people are probably watching and just being like, yeah, he's a, he's a badass, I guess but without any more context than that. But I do think though, what this show did really well is I, I don't, I think that there is still really good conflict with him and Inej. The difference in their beliefs was so well done. Her hesitancy to kill him, knowing that you have to kill to survive. The fact that she does that for him, the, the moments of vulnerability when he says to her, no, no one's ever, no saints ever watch out for me. Not like you have, those moments were all so rewarding and you can see so much him warring with his ethos, which is I think very clearly established that he is just so pragmatic and ruthless in so many ways. And the fact that he's drawn to her and she's the complete opposite of that. There's a lot. So I think that there is a lot there. We don't have the touch stuff, but I do think like the motivation for why he won't be with her is, is still there. It worked really well for me and I think a non-book reader would pick up on on that stuff because they do have such different motivations in a lot of ways and and that's all in the books too and we we focus so much on his horrific backstory because it's so moving and it's so unique to his story I've never read anything like it before but like they're putting other stuff there too which I, I liked all that too and I'm hopeful we still get like everything else and maybe the way they're going to show it is now they have a chance in a way to be different than the books because Inej is already free. That's something that happens at the end of Crooked Kingdom. So like another question I have is like, what is going to be her motivation to stay with the drugs at this point? And is it going to be Kaz? And then is that how the touch issue is going to come up? Because if she sticks around more explicitly for him or for for them and it, it comes out that way that could be really an interesting way to like bring it up the cast stuff all worked really well for me like i've read the books and i loved every second he was with Inej and every just bare glance that they shared i thought all of it was really really beautifully done i'm just thinking from the perspective of people that have only seen the show and not read any of the books like what i'm seeing from a lot of them is just oh he's cool like but they're not really getting a lot of that deeper level stuff from him yet i think that just gives them a place to grow for season Mm -hmm. two though when they bring him back and i do think the touch stuff is very subtle in this first season but you also don't see him like readily touching many people so i think when it comes out that it's an aversion i I don't think it will come out completely out of nowhere i think they it it may they may have to like build up a little bit to it. And I do think they could use the Inej stuff to really pull that in. But yeah, I mean, I think if he was like just shaking hands left and right, or like taking his gloves off or anything like that, that would have been a problem. But I, 
I can see that he's still got like a lot more to go, but you know, this is a prequel. We don't even find out Kaz's backstory until like three quarters of the way through Six of Crows. So I feel like sort of quietly seeding that in and then giving it to us later will be good. Joe seems to really love flashbacks already. The Mal and Lena flashbacks, we got a lot of them. We even got flashbacks just to previous episodes. And what I think they also seeded very subtly, Vesper being Grisha. So I can see them having season one or flashbacks in season two to moments in season one where perhaps we get Jasper reveal and they flash back to him doing cool stuff with the guns. Or if they, we we get more of Kaz's backstory and we get a moment of him like bracing himself before he goes to shake Colleen's hand. Or I even think a lot of the cane stuff, like that's drawing attention to him, like grasping the the cane and, and with his gloved hand and like just kind of, an internalization moment for him there. So I can see how they can like point back to some of those moments mm-hmm. and like in a, in a artful way, like they did with some of the other flashbacks. I'm not like, I'll, I'll reserve, reserve my judgment. Yeah. I will say I'm not yeah. looking forward to the Kaz flashbacks. Well, no, I don't want oh, the Jordy stuff is going to be oh, my so gosh. rough. Oh, golly. Yeah, um, we are getting those flashbacks. I think we all No, Yeah, we have to be right now. It's, it's going to be really hard. I totally agree with you. I think the show, when it wants to be uh, artfully subtle with the reveals that we know are coming, clearly they're able to do it because the things with Jesper being Grisha are so well done because they don't come out and say it ever. No one says it. There's like a throwaway line. Jesper fix Kaz's cane. There's the scene with the mm-hmm. bullet. There's the Grisha saying, you know, like, oh my God, you're, and then Jesper quieting him down and i love it because that's something that's so rewarding and i do think only show show watchers only might be able to pick it up and i'm sure you know this show has been recapped in lots and lots of clickbait articles that will bring it up so i don't think it'll be that surprising but the way the show did it is so artful i can already see the the articles when like these reveals come out like 23 reasons you miss that jasper was grisha like from season (laughs) one oh yeah i don't want to go back and see because um i know mal mentioned that he kind of could send selena's power because of like that ringing noise i want to go back and see if that ringing noise happened when grisha just in general used their power and specifically see if you heard any kind of background ringing noise when jesper was using it yeah that's interesting i don't know if like yeah i don't know if that was like like an alina thing thing because he's the tracker because he can track the yeah. yeah. Well, and then she has this again. That's why I was like, is there a connection with her t- to the stag? Because he's like, I hear the same noise. And I'm like, but they're not connected. You're actually connected now to the stag. Like, mm-hmm. so I don't, I'm anyway. Yeah. No, that, that would be all really interesting too. But just like every single moment the crows are on, see, on the screen, I can't. I think honestly, the moment I like guess the most was at the end. And we'll talk about like some of these, like, crossovers here in a second but when she gets the knife and we were all just like santa lena like, <laughs> it was so when alina gets her, i'm like oh my god what a clever way to like weave those stories in and like just if you know you know like what a big deal that knife is to Inej. and it was just like it was so much fun. face when she got it yeah oh she's my gosh. so cute and i just i loved her so much she was mm-hmm. so but her, both her acrobatics. and yeah, like obviously Jasper is like so out there and exuberant in so many ways. The subtlety that 
both Freddie Carter and Amita brought to every scene, the glances, it was all so loaded and so well done. I was, I've just been like going back and fast forwarding to all the crow scenes because when you're watching it all in mass, it's like harder to slow down and really appreciate those moments. So I'm just like sitting there staring at like the tick in Freddie Carter's jaw before he says like, there's no one else like you. Like it costs him to say those things. The very brief, like, smile when Inez is walking away from him at the campfire and he calls her back and she like briefly smiles and then like schools herself and turn before she turns back around to him I'm like god you guys just like kill me now like I can't uh it's so good especially like in contrast to the big sweeping emotional romantic moments we get with Mal and Alina they're playing up the score the score changes to this like romantic theme for them and we, we it's not the same at all for for Kaz and Inej, but like it's just so different and satisfying and oh so good yeah and, like all the Catterdam stuff was so fun like it was so cool to be there the crow club was so great Kaz having the read on that woman from East Ravka and like figures out like how did you get across the fold like that's so good we get a heist I love when shows like basically call out what I as the fan are saying when they're like it's a mm-hmm. heist like <laughs> Time for a heist. It's like literally what everybody is saying. I'm saying that too. We could talk for forever. I could go scene by scene and be like, and I love this because this, I have no complaints about them. We knew going in, I think we had a pretty good read on how they were going to intertwine the Crow storyline with the main trilogy. You know, we knew that they were going to go after Alina. And I think we were all worried that, you know, they're obviously not going to come back with Alina. So, and we don't want to see Kez Bricker fail. So like, how is this going to work out? And it, and to watch it unfold was just so surprisingly lovely because it was what we expected, but I, everything we got was like, as if I, if they had someone who said like, what do you want? Like, what's a wish list that you never in a million, like, I wouldn't even write a fanfic about Kaz and the Darkling meeting because I never would have thought it would ever happen. And then in the show, they give it to me. So like, literally like, everything I could possibly want if I had given like a in my wildest dreams wish list, like they gave it to us. And I just like still kind of can't believe it. I never would have thought to even ask for a Mal and Crows team up, but we got that too. And it was so good. Like how much did I like lose my goddamn mind? That I like thought I was like having a heart attack. I was like, (laughs) oh, my favorites. Oh no. And the meeting Nina at the end was perfect. Oh, yeah. Speaking yeah. of, we should talk about Nina, who yeah. we haven't yeah. brought up at all yet. Just sitting yeah. around the campfire, especially after finishing Rule of Wolves, like which gave us like everything that we wanted and more. And then just to like have that, like, yeah, Queen Zoya is gonna call Kaz because she knows him. Like they're oh best friends. I literally was like, I'm gonna take a screenshot of that uh that crew at the end. It's literally all of my favorites. And I just need to draw a stick figure of Nikolai. And that's like, I don't say need you anyone else. That's like all I need. Like, oh my God, it was so good. Um, yeah, the Nina stuff. Let's talk about that. And Matthias. Uh, of all the, of a show that had like incredible chemistry from people across the board. Damn, those two. <laughs> Nina and Matthias had. Holy shit, off chemistry. The, off the fucking charts. And they chemistry. needed to. They were barely on screen. So they yeah, had to yeah. like, like light up the screen immediately. I mean, on fire. Every single moment they had. Um, I it, Reading the books, I did not like Matthias right away. It took a while for me to get there. I liked him right away here, even as he was being a dick. Um, I loved every, like, the tent or the, the cabin after the shipwreck. 
scene was perfect. It was like ripped directly from the books. Like, yeah, all it was perfect. Were right from the books too, mm-hmm. which was really yeah. cool. Um, the scene even just on the boat where she's chained up and he's feeding her, like mm-hmm. indecent. Like, quite frankly, is what that was. Like, oh my god. And you never really get a lot of Matthias smiling at all in the books, but you see them in in those moments after the shipwreck and they're starting to get to know each other and they're kind of teasing each other and smiling and stuff. And I was just watching it going, oh no, <laughs> like they're yeah. making me love him so much already. My heart is already breaking for what is uh, going to come probably in a couple of seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I mean, I thought Nina, like the actress they cast for Nina was so good. So, so good. good. So perfect. And I was worried about that because you know I love Nina and that's like a lot to to pull off and to get right and she really really did it she really exceeded expectations um I wasn't really expecting to like her that much but I really loved her I also loved how fucking badass she was when all the Druskella came into our room and she's constrained and still beating the shit out of them like fuck yeah Nina yeah yeah. When she and speaks I, the fluent Fjordan and he's like, how do you speak the language? She's like, I'm a spy. I speak like six fluent languages. <laughs> it was, she was so good. She had such a good non, no-nonsense attitude. He was really good too. At first, I was like kind of nervous about the accent because he is American and he's like one of the only Americans and like what? his his accent was, was really good. Yeah. <laughs> It, it wasn't bad at all. Yeah. Well, and she's Irish in real life. So I like when they they were talking about where they would go. And she's like, it fit right in the wandering aisle. And she switched to her, what I assume is her natural accent because she's Irish. So I love that. No, they were just, they were so good. I, I do think like objectively that storyline was kind of rushed and kind of shoehorned in. But like as a book reader, it just made my heart really happy. We got I, waffles. They got freaking waffles like they knew they were like who their audience was they're like oh they're gonna they're gonna all be eating waffles and they're gonna lose their shit because we're gonna have them eat waffles too <laughs> uh, it was so good um one thing that is interesting is they did kind of change nina's backstory a little bit i mean as she's kind of i guess aged up comparison to books because in the books in the original trilogy she's one of the students at the little palace but She's already out spying, which is fine. Great. Um, But then she's like a radical because she doesn't think that Grisha service should be compulsory. And it was really, so that was really interesting. But then like the Darkling knew who she was. Yeah. I think that was just her spy story because that was what the conductor said, but he didn't know. And when the Darkling, that's when he found out that that wasn't. So yeah, I don't think she was a radical. She was actually just a spy for the Darkling. I see. Thank you. That makes me <laughs> very confused. I hey, I was not really necessarily watching for the plot. If the plot was anything, it was Matthias shirtless and me yelling, sexy survival time, sexy survival time. <laughs> There's only one bed and it's too cold. You have to take off all your clothes. I'm sorry. And that's like, in, so they're like, what? That's the first reason they take off their clothes. And then they're like traveling. And then again, they're sleeping together naked. And I was like, they're not watch anymore. What are they doing? I know. I see you too. I see you. I loved it so much. I could have used like maybe one more scene of like him thawing. It did kind of seem like an abrupt change uh, then where all of a sudden he's like, I kind of like you, but you know, she's enough of a charm bomb that he's helpless to resist. I don't, I don't hate him falling quickly, I guess. I cannot wait to see Nina and Jesper working together on the show with those two in there. 
about Matthias's line that like Nina and Jesper could like flirt their way out of anything that the two of them could like flirt anyone in submission and like mm-hmm. conquer the world. And both this Nina and Jesper, I'm like, okay, yeah, like that makes sense. A hundred percent that checks out. So it's gonna be, yeah. it's gonna be so, it's gonna be so good. Ugh. I was worried about watching the selling out scene where Nina, because I, I think we had seen photos of Matthias in prison. So I knew that it was coming and I was worried about it. Cause in the book, it's so upsetting that she would just like sell him out. And I think that Nina has to redeem herself to Matthias as well as the reader a little bit, but here you can sense the desperation and it feels so much more necessary that she has to do what she has to do in order to get the pieces where they need to be for the end to be what it is. It feels so much better motivated here. Like I, when that happened or in the backstory, when it happened in the books, I was, I mean, I was like, I totally get Matthias being pissed and I still do get him being pissed because he was knocked out and then wakes up in prison and doesn't know what from what, but I do think it was so much better motivated and you, you avoid like the kind of like Nina judgment there with that. Yeah. And And I think, too, just the simple act of him being knocked out and, like, seeding the fact that she can slow down his heart already. Like, so he knows she has that power. He doesn't know that anyone else is there. All of a sudden, he just knows that he's passed out via a power that she has and then, like, comes to. That's a much more, a much better motivator than just, like, in the book. It's like he's kind of just distanced from it and all of a sudden it happens. But, like, to really think that, like, she actively did something physically to him with her powers, which he has established that he was very uncomfortable with, like the fact of her powers, that was just, it all really worked well. Yeah. I, I loved it. And yeah, so that, that like the fact that all of them are on a boat together at the end with Mal and Alina. Are we going to get Nikolai with all of them? Like on a boat? Sometimes I can't handle that possibility. Like I lost my mind over every the the just the, in rule of wolves all the stuff that we got between like Nikolai and Kaz it's like too much for my brain to handle the two of them together so if we're gonna get that in the show early I like all right <laughs> no I wanted it. to ask you guys what you think will be going forward how it like will we get the Prem storyline like how is that gonna work and I am sort of of the sort of setting myself opinion up that now that everyone has been established together that it would that we're going to get separate crows storylines. Like the crow storyline will diverge and they're not going to make as much of an effort to mix the storylines with the trilogy plot because now everyone has been together. So they might feel more comfortable having them be split up. But I wonder how, if they're going to do that again. I mean, I don't know. The show's just totally surprised me when I think I know where it's going. So I think they're definitely still going to do the ice court things. And I think you're right that they will be able to separate their stories more. Like when you think about Game of Thrones, there were separate storylines for every region of the country or of the planet or whatever. So I think, and I think there is still enough there to be able to connect the stories. Like they're going to the ice court to get this guy who has created, you know, the Jerda Perem and that poses a huge threat to all Grisha so that could connect with Alina's storyline in the way that she asks, and, and maybe this is how Inej sticks with the crows for a little bit longer, is that Alina specifically asks her to help eliminate this, this param threat. And so she joins the group to go to the ice court in order to make that happen. Like, I feel like there's still 
Like that's just one way it can happen, but there are still ways to connect these storylines. Yeah. I think that that seems like the most likely way to like tie Inej in still, like is have Alina be invested in what they do with the ice court, but you do still, I think, need the monetary motivation for Kaz. Yeah. Well, for, so, yeah, for Inej, the motivator isn't, is right. Alina for Kaz. Right. And I think they feel like, I feel like they definitely, I mean, it could just be clever Easter eggs for book readers, but the DeCapel painting is the painting that Kaz steals from Wyland's father. And so that was what a great intro to Kaz to like establishing his dominance. Like you get that scene that he walks into his office and like sees the painting and like, you don't even get his whole face. It's just like the side of his face as he turns to go up the stairs, but just like the hint of a grin. Oh, I love it so much. He's so good. And we also get Jesper talking about how they need a demo man. And when that happened, I screamed. I was like, why? Jesper, you don't even know how bad you need a demo man. <laughs> and I love that he asked for one on every job. Yeah, like, no, it's great. And then he, oh, you're getting one boy. Like, just you wait. Yeah, that was just, that was a lovely little nod. You know, I had said like my one wish fulfillment thing is like maybe at the end, if we thought that they were like gonna end with the crows getting up, gearing up to do the ice court heist, then maybe we get like a cameo of Wylan or something. But that was a perfect subtle way to be mm-hmm. like, he's coming, guys. Like, don't worry, we're getting our demo man. My cinnamon roll. Uh, man. Well, especially because I don't know if they're going to like really just play up Jasper, like just being such a flirt and like having some sexy times. Like my little Westbrook ship herself is not going to be able to like handle. Wyland like, doesn't stand a chance. Sweet baby Wyland is going to be bowled over as well as I have been by Jasper, as we all have been uh, by how, how great he was. And yeah, they just really wove everything together so well in a way that felt so natural and it doesn't bother me that as much that they like didn't succeed because there's like legitimate reasons as like gets paid off and that's kind of what he like looks for at the end of the day and he can still be morally gray in that way but Inej has reasons why she's happy with how everything worked out and it made sense to me that like they're gonna bumble stumble a little bit more through Ravka that's not their home turf and it's it's early enough in their story that they you got to build off of experience to to break into the ice court. Now they've got some more experience on their belt, and it's just capture down the darkling, guys. I still can't believe it. I can't <laughs> believe it. When we Jesse and I were sitting next to each other on the couch, and I was like, I felt like I was like almost like hitting you, and I was so sorry, but I was just like, there, ah. Well, I thought we were going to get Kaz and Zoya first because I thought he was like looking for Zoya. And I was like, oh, my God, like, are we getting this? And then for them to like put the darkling, I was like, like, there's no way. Oh, God. Just instantly terrified for Kaz because like, how could he possibly kill Kaz? And and really, he did only because the darkling chose not to go after him after that. Like he could have just gone down that little side street that that Kaz disappeared into. Um, Should have stayed in Kedadam, yeah. Mr. Brecker. Oh. I think I think you're right that it is kind of silly, but I loved every second of it. So. Oh, it's yeah. so silly! That's, it's like fan I mean, love it. Like don't care. The fact don't that care. it's just like a flashbang <laughs> bomb, and like that's how he gets away. I was like, okay, cool, <laughs> whatever, guys. Well, I, I think that also. Sh- I, I mean, the Darkling's a little like 
unhinged and not unhinged in that moment, but he's like, he's shaken. Like he's trying to find Alina. So I kind of can buy them like, okay, like he isn't expecting anything really. Yeah. I did think the cut looked really cool when he did use it in several scenes. That was all really good. Guys, it was a good show. It was, it was so satisfying watching the crows best the Grisha. Uh, I think it's important to show that the Grisha aren't fallible or are fallible because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, they all have like superpowers. But then I, they actually do a good job of setting up Firda as of as the villain country um, that has all this technology that can go against Grisha. And they do it really efficiently in that scene where Alina's in the carriage and the Fjordans, the Driskelli are after them. I think that's really important because in conversations that I know we've all had about these books, they're like, well, why don't the Grisha just, they're like all powerful. They have all these powers. And it's like, well, here are all the reasons why they can't just like steamroll over the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, there's like, like Kaz and Anej, like best, like an inferior, like that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or- limits to their power they can't have their hands together like they have to have their hands together to use it and yeah like you said these other places have you know the repeating guns and everything else right and they can be shot and they have their Mm -hmm. special keftas to make sure that they don't and yeah what is that he tells mal like the the soldier guy tells mal he's like it used to be that they, we were told that one Grisha was worth like a thousand of us. And then it was with the repeater gun, it was one Grisha's worth a hundred of you. And now like this, and he's like, and now they're just like worthless. Just as useless as the rest of us. Yeah. 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 I think they do a good job of seeding the idea that like part of why the Darkling is so like looking to make power is because as technology advances, they're at risk again, because they're not as useful or like irreplaceable basically and then and of course the darkling and like nikolai doesn't think about like how to incorporate the grisha into that technology so that they can like make it stronger work together to work more cohesively with the first army we just Mm. have to wait for that yeah (laughs) i'm so excited i've been i've Mm -hmm. been very nervous about the nikolai casting because I, I love him so much and it's really important to me that they get him right. But because they did such a good job casting the rest of the show, I'm I'm gonna trust them, whatever they decide to do. Yeah. No, yeah. they really knocked it out of the park. My only person, like uh, again, until like that very last scene with Zoya, I was like, no, no, like I don't know if I like you as much. But then like she's got the vibe. She has it in her. It's like the writing was not her moments weren't as much as I wanted for her, but It'll be okay. Like, we're going to get it. It's going to be good. I can't wait for more. Everyone keep watching it. So the numbers go up and they get renewed sooner rather than later. And I'm really excited about it. Like it's like number one across the world now, right now. Like, yeah, it? it is. I think we'll get a season two. I think a lot of people are watching it. Yeah. I'm probably. hopeful. It's rated very high as well. Yeah. yeah. Like 91% fresh or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just really. They're really good. They're good eggs. They all seem to really, now that they're like, show, now that the show's out, they can share all their behind the scenes stuff. I see 100%. Like, obviously, I understand why shows put lockdowns on those types of things, but they definitely need to do that because, again, I never thought we would get this much interaction between all of them. You know, like the guy who plays Mal, Archie Renner, like posted a picture of like him in, I mean, to see on like an edge, like, oh, wait, yeah, they're all on a boat together. Like, <laughs> come on. Uh, so, anyway. It was just also good. Should we do some superlatives? Let's do yeah. it. Alrighty. Favorite quote. 
Yassi, why don't you go first? Yeah. So a lot of my favorite quotes we already discussed, you know, the delivery of fine, make me your villain. And there's also like a throwaway line that Kaz says about plan F. And I'm like, he has so many plans. He has plan F. Um, (laughs) And of course the no mourners moment. But I think one of my favorite like quotes is at the end when they're on the boat together and Jesper says, what did we learn? People with trains are evil. You can't kidnap a human sunbeam. And maybe, just maybe, greed is a poor motivator. True wealth is the friends you make along the way. And his delivery is great. His summary is great. And just like has his like disgusted face. (laughs) So perfect. He's like, the friends you make along the way, which is like ridiculous because Six of Crows is probably one of the best like found family stories like ever. So yeah, it Mm. is the friends you make along the way, but also like how about 300 million Kruger? (laughs) oh god Aubrey yeah I mean fine make me your villain just like we talked about the delivery I just loved it but he knocked out any anytime Jesper talked I was so amused I mean Jesse gives them but even like his pickup line with the stable boy when he's like oh no I'm a terrible actor but I'm not against the occasional light role play and I was just like yeah, how could you not go for it? They're like, <laughs> what is going on? You charm them. But yeah, I mean, just, I just cracked up when he said that. And like, also was like, of course, the stable boy is going to swoon when you're in this like beautiful coat and making these comments in just your jesper way. At Jesper, every time he's in front of a mirror. Yeah. I just love him so much. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just so vain. I love him. Uh, Tasha. I yeah, it's it's just Jasper pretty much. I loved the time for a heist just because, like Corinne said, it was all of us, all of us yelling that at the screen. <laughs> um, and also, like this isn't really a quote, but just when he was doing the distraction for Kaz and he's like shooting the sign and stuff, he's like, "What was that?" <laughs> like, you know, that was a great just, scene. He's so great. I. It's my favorite creature verse quote, but I loved no, no mourners, no funerals and how it was deployed here was so good. You know, we didn't get it until the very end. And we all thought that it was going to be said like leading up into a heist and to get it. And what is really the moment that they're in the most danger and it essentially means good luck amongst them. And so for them to say that in that moment where they're crossing the fold and it's like, Oh no, this is like, the real scary time. We're not even like this armored truck heading across with the collector. We are, we're in real danger now. I just, I loved it in that moment. And I love that it was Kazan and Naj who said it. Yeah. And I love that it follows like Jesper talking about how he wants an open, make sure there's an open casket funeral for him if he dies because he's so handsome. Can't deny it. <laughs> also leading up into that, the passport where he's like, no one's ever going to believe I'm this, this oh my old. God. <laughs> he says to the guy like oh yeah i look great for my age i thought you were older like, I thought you were... <laughs> his face is like blank smile as he walks away like he's yeah. so mad um i do also want to shout out briefly too because i'm a sucker i was in the books too particularly by the end for like a lot of the male and alina romance but the meet me in the meadow but then the end where he's like don't you dare say meet me in the meadow i did like that <laughs> it was nice okay favorite character next- oh, gosh favorite character <laughs> uh, i had said when initially we were talking about doing superlatives that i was just gonna chicken out and just say milo because i refused to make any other choice besides milo the goat although like just truly great stuff it 
perfect comedy in a way that made sense. Memeable, gifable, just a great way to tie in the characters. Like who knew that this was what we, if we weren't going to have our sixth crow of Wylan in this, we, we have our sixth crow of Isle of the Goat for now. And that's great. And I love him. But um, again, I'm just so shocked by how much I love Jasper. I got to give Jasper for character. Arc Alina, just perfect. Yes. I have pretty much the same answer. I love, I loved all of them. I loved really everybody in this show. I think everybody was great, perfectly cast. Um, but Jasper, he he kind of stole the show, really. Um, yeah, so it's Jasper for character and Alina for arc. Uh, Jesse. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think Alina's arc, and not only because it's so much better than I think her book, um, her first book arc, but just um, Jesse performance and just everything about it. I thought it was so powerful. And for character, I'm just an unapologetic Kaz Stan. I I literally cannot say another character than him, or I'll break out in hives. So <laughs> I I I mean, I I realize I'm projecting a lot of my own internal biases on it like why I love him as a character and I can't but I just like couldn't look away from Freddie's performance and I I love him I love him so much I have it's, to go with Cass it's the best like copy paste from the book like mm-hmm. that I've ever seen and that's not like a diminishment of it it's I, that's like the highest praise for me because it's a character that is so perfect and it's a portrayal that is so perfect that like it's it's staggering. I mean, it like is. I mean, there's even an. I love Amina Suman. She's great. Her Nez is great. It's just a a, sli- a little slightly different than how I pictured it. But no, like has is again copy paste. Like you he's can the tell embodiment. how he puts so much research into it. Like the way that he uses. He just he really uses the cane. It's not you know, an affectation, like you, he, you, he, like the way without the cane that he's like limping and, and how it's like, it's not as touched on as, you know, a lot of the Suli racism and things like that and the shoe racism, but you know, the, the, the Grisha calling him, you know, broken and disabled, you know, like it, it's a really big moment when he's able to take him down, even when he's exhausted and he's limping and, <sighs> he takes down a Volcra with his cane to save a Nesh. Oh my god, he does. Oh yeah, he does. Which is so crazy because this is the guy that got beat up by by Pekka Rollins in the beginning of the show, and now he's taking on this. But you know what? I love it. I don't care. Taking beating by Pekka, yeah. I mean, it was probably more smarter to not fight back than. Yeah, I kind of had that thought too. That it's all just like let him let Pekka think he's gonna capitulate and roll over and mm-hmm. not go after the job so you know let's all head canon that everyone yeah <laughs> i like accepted that. um i do i don't know if any of you guys watched the netflix after the show special which was kind of terrible in a lot of ways i hated the interviewer so i don't yeah so bad but like the actor or the interviewer who is interviewing the crows was like Freddie, like, has it so cute? And he has a cane. Like, what was it like to use the cane? And I was like, oh, Jesus, I hate this. How you're asking this question. It makes me really fun. And he was like, yeah, like, it was exciting to, like, get to figure out how to use it. But really, I just, like, I felt like a tremendous responsibility to get it right. And, you, yeah, he just was so intentional. And it's all, they all took this all so seriously and really wanted to pay homage to the books and, and respect what they 
what Lee was going for. And it's, it's so intentional, particularly with him. And I love it. Mm -hmm. It was really good. He Um, was a perfect Kaz. And honestly, like there's just something about Freddie Carter's face. You can't look away from him when he's on screen. Yeah. Like I really, when, when he was on screen, I wasn't looking at anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Aubrey. Yeah. I mean, I loved all of them. I think I have to agree that like, for me, it was Jesper because I was so surprised by how much I loved him. I mean, I, I, I love him in the books, but like, I was just, completely taken in by Kit Young's performance. So good. You know, as much as I like I knew I would love Ben Barnes as the Darkling, you know, like there was no way that wasn't going to be true, but Jesper was surprising. And then Alina's arc, I just think I mean we've said it all, like it's just such an improvement over her first book arc. And I also think Jesse Maylee is a star. Like yeah. that girl brought charisma and just she brought humor and at the same time, like you could see the struggle on her face. I, it was just so good. So good. I'm so happy. All right. Swoon. Here we go. Uh, Jesse, do you want to start off this time? Yeah. The, the whole scene where, I mean, basically every, not to be myself, but every scene with Kaz <laughs> and Inej, uh, the whole scene where Inej kills for the first time in order to save Kaz's life. Um, and when he tells her that, you know, a saint has never done anything for him, but she has um, that moment by the fire. I, 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 I'm, I love them so much. And there's so many different ships on this show and in the books. And I, I was nervous about how artful I, I was nervous, like a, that they would just not like erase it entirely or B that they might rush it. And the care and consideration that was given here between the two of them and how subtle and beautiful the moments are. I loved it. And I'm spooning, I'm spooning now talking about it. So mm. I gotta, there we go. Uh, Aubrey. Well, in, you know, stereotypical fashion, I'm going to pick that darkling Alina kiss in episode five. It's just so, Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, it was so hot. And then that moment where he runs back to her after like this very like full on makeout session. And then he just like kisses her before he leaves, which Ben Barnes improvised because Great. he wanted to like show that vulnerability. I just think it, it really reads well. And it does, you know, I think it, it gives what you need for the darkling Alina relationship to feel like a more betrayal later on when he does put the amplifier on her, but just it, it does show that there is something real there between the two of them, even as he's trying to manipulate her that he can't quite control. And the moment of consent to like, make sure that she's okay with how far it's going, which like guys, you could learn from that. Why are you learning from a malicious villain? (laughs) Yeah. Like if the villain can do it, what is everyone else's excuse? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I also think like all the Kazanish stuff was great, but yeah, that darkling moment, I was like waiting for the kiss and it was so much better than I was expecting. And I already have the gift sets saved. Don't worry. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Tasia. So the, the moment in I think maybe the first or second episode where Mal and Alina are in two separate places, but they both kind of look and they're lying down in bed and they both look towards the other or where the other would be and reach their hand out. I thought that was it like brought me to tears. It made me think of that that quote from Red, White, and Royal Blue, where he talks about how he and Henry are like two parentheses enclosing like the three thousand or whatever miles between them. 
Uh, I thought it was just very romantic. Um, also, when Mal smashed the glass into the quartermaster's head for being racist to Alina in order to get himself locked up to be with Alina in the brig, I thought was very sweet. Yeah, and then all of the Kazan and Edge stuff. The she's not like you, no one is. Um, saying he needs her, the no saint ever watched over me, not like you have. Like all of that vulnerability that Kaz showed. And also like the strength of Inej because she's already showing that um, I will have you without armor, Kaz Brecker. I won't have you at all. Like she's she's being so firm already with where her limits are with him. Like what she's willing to accept. She's not willing to accept the crumbs. And I like that. I agree. All the the Kazanina stuff is is so good. I can't overstate though how much I literally like felt like I was on fire the first couple episodes. The male and Alina stuff just really like floored me. It was like a puddle of swoon. I was like just hyperventilating. Like I could not handle it. The the moments where they're laying exactly what you said, Tasia, was so good. Just how cute it is when he gets in the in the jail with her and he's like we match which makes me really sad that she raised the scar um, so sad I, I don't yeah that makes me very sad and like the the voiceover and their letters just it really worked very well for me it was so obviously swoony it was just they're really like hitting home how important that relationship is and that it's real and it's founded in something more than I think even in the books, like they had more chemistry. You could, it was really important to, for me to see that you could, that Mal did like her. Clearly they haven't almost kissed before they like go across the fold. Um, so I, I just, it all it really worked for me. I feel really inappropriate because Archie Reno is like 22. I, I feel much more comfortable crushing on like everyone else in the show because they're all older, but like whatever it is what it is. If you're going to have them shirtless fighting, what am I supposed to do? I'm I'm not blind. So yeah, I really did appreciate that they made, made an effort to show that like he obviously had feelings for her way before she came into her power and it wasn't so much like, and, and he did admit, he was like, listen, it's my fault. Like I, I didn't pursue you before this, but you know, I'm here now and I see you and this and that, but yeah. Um, cause that was like an issue in the books that he yeah. seemed to only have interest in her when she was taken away from him. Yeah. I actually yeah. felt like that line was a little out of place in the show. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't see you before. I'm like, well, you did. <laughs> like, we, I know, actually, that, we yeah, saw you see her. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, that's, that was a weird thing, but, but yeah, fine. I liked it. That works. I'm, I'm ready for that slow burn. Like they're going to eventually get together. It's going to be great. And I can't wait, but no, yeah. it, it they a good balance for the dark Lena shippers versus the male Lena shippers here. Everyone got something to be to take come home happy with. So it was good. And then this week we're also gonna do, since we're we're here to talk about show, we're gonna do best and worst adaptive choice. Aubrey. Oh, I mean, I feel like we've talked about my worst ones, which is that darkling backstory, that flashback, which I just think as I said, like, doesn't work for me. I don't like the unnecessary fridging. And I think just really is really shallow and just really takes away from who the Darkling is. I just thought it was really poorly done as much as I love seeing Ben Barnes on screen more. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I mean, the, the Darkling casting, it, it's fine. I'm not mad about it, but I, it felt like a little silly and just like in there for the fan service of it all. And that's that's fine because, you know. We get it. 
I mean, my favorite choices are basically everything they did with Mal, which I just think really fixes his character. And I think making it very explicit that he knows that Alina didn't embrace her Grisha power and like unknowingly, but unknowingly stops using it to be with him, which is why I think some of the things that happen in book two, like they can't happen because it would be such a regression from his character in this, in this show, in this season, you know, but having that conversation happen so that it's, it's very aware of that, like the way that they've been sacrificing for each other. Um, And then I think the Zoya choice of having her, turn and get it letting us see that and see why and it really um i think also brings home like the cost of taking out that city so i yeah. won't talk more i feel like i've talked about all of these things already but yeah hey, that was it yeah important moments Jesse. yeah i mean the same things that everyone has said you know my least favorite adaption choice was the darkling flashback like everyone said it's just I felt it was pretty reductive and in a, an adaption that was so incredibly thoughtful about every choice they make. I'm just very surprised that they they chose to to give them this girlfriend and this fridging. And yeah, I, I didn't really like it. Um, my favorite adaption choices are number one, the way they intermingled the crow stuff with the shadow and bone story, just genius and really thoughtful. And I loved it and artfully done. I also, to echo what everyone else is saying, I just really like that they gave Alina so much more agency with the Darkling in those moments. I thought that was so important. And then at the end as well, and everything they did with Mal, because I totally agree. Um, I think a lot of the trilogy was very much like of its time of 2012. Um, you know, like the Hunger Games, uh, the Divergent, it's it's very much um, like what we expected back then. And I think that now when it comes to telling stories, particularly women's stories, that we want a little bit more now. And I think that they went into it very intentional and, and um, made it very now. And I really appreciate it. And the exception of that Darkling flashback, um, just I'm very impressed with their adaption choices. Asia. For worse, uh, I mean, this isn't even necessarily a bad thing, but it's something we didn't talk about, which was that they kind of established Alina as Sancta Alina really, really early, just on the basis of her being a sun summoner and not because of anything she actually did. So I th- I don't know, like I said, I don't know if this is really a bad thing. It was just kind of a weird choice for me um, because, I mean, the Darkling isn't sainted and he is also a, sum- a summoner on a similar level, an even greater level than Alina. So that felt kind of weird to establish that so early and I, I understand why they did it and I know why they did it uh, particularly for Inej because they needed that motivator for her but um and then best is I would yeah again it's Mal <laughs> he got such a glow up he's great I loved that moment when um Alina calls calls him Alexander or refers to uh, the Darkling as Alexander and and he's kind of like taken aback like oh you're on like a first name basis huh and she starts to explain to him, explain herself, but he's like, no, you don't need to explain yourself. Like you, we don't, we don't need to go there. Like you did what, whatever you needed to do. And I really, I loved that because God, so much, so much of the relationship drama is just so annoying, but he's very mature and understanding about it. So good for, good for them. Yeah. Yeah. Everything you guys said, I mean, I think probably my least favorite adaptation choice is definitely the the Darkling flashback. I just really didn't like that <laughs> at all. It, it just it didn't it didn't work for me. Sorry. 
all in all involved and i think <laughs> sorry too, to that man yeah sorry to that man sorry to <laughs> sorry to the darkling who again i i just from on rewatch i'll see what i think more in terms to just like the back half and how after that up and then i say back half after episode seven the flashback and then kind of his motivations through there i'll see what i think about that going forward and whether I think it was too soft. Why can't, again, why can't I win with the Darkling? Just like give me that middle ground that I want so badly and that I got in Rule of Wolves. But anyway, um, we'll see how I feel going forward. We just um, very much did not need him to be motivated by the death of a woman. Like we didn't, he's already yeah. got enough motivators. We don't need to add uh, fridging to it. I don't know. It's it's stupid. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, you know, I just, I didn't like that. Yeah. Um, my favorite adaptation choices again the male stuff <laughs> just like makes me really happy i just mm, i love it a lot i like particularly that they get rid of mal and alina traipsing around looking for the stag for so long mal tracks him first and finds him and then they like know where to go and it cuts off a, a lot of like fluff and filler which kind of felt like in the book has had to be filled by them like confessing their love for each other and i hopefully think it's going to be a more rewarding romance ultimately when we get it between them because they've had to kind of just set on the back burner as they work through things and other things are going on and that's more important so i i liked that also because then it allowed more inter natural interweaving with the crows. And I talked about this before, but the proactive choice of Alina at the end to leave. I also like the idea too, that the dark, she thinks the darkling's dead. Because you know what that means. We're going to get a surprise. It's the darkling moment. <laughs> I really am going to have to make these shirts, aren't I? Yeah. Because yeah. no one really knows. She thinks that he's dead at the end. and. That's great. How lucky are we? Uh, so good. We were so well fed. So such a great adaptation. Such a good adaptation uh, right on the heels of Rule of Wolves too. It's just been such a fun month. Like, what do I do now? I don't know. What is my life? I, I, I don't, it's been maybe a long time or maybe ever. I don't know, but it's, it's been a while since I watched something and just felt so consumed by it that I, I was like pacing my, my apartment last night. Just like, I had no idea what to do with myself. I had so much like adrenaline and I, I said, I don't think I've crashed from it yet. Like, yeah, I don't know what to do with myself. I share this on Instagram to my stories, but like a thing, a Tumblr post that was like the way I've made this entire show, my personality and what do I do now? Like, I don't know. Exactly. Spent so much time, but that's all right. We'll we'll find something else to obsess over, and then the show is going to come back. So we put those positive vibes out there, and then we'll obsess over that again. And really, we have an Aquatar show. So. Oh my god! <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. That is back. one thing I'm doing to try to distract myself from the show. Is I finally picked up a a Court of Silver Flames and started reading it. It was like if fairy porn porn can't get me out of this, and what can the cure all? <laughs> a, a, a soothing balm on the soul from fairy porn something like that yeah it's, it's something all right all right <laughs> friends jesse aubrey thank you so much for coming back you know the grishaverse episodes that we did in the fall were like one of our first big forays into fandom and you guys were, have been so great to talk to through all of our discussions on the grishaverse for the last like six months essentially and we had this idea back when we did those episodes to do the a show coverage and it's just it's been even more rewarding 
and all the months leading up to this to, to continue to talk about all this stuff. So thank you for coming back. And we will see you next season. Yeah, we'll see you next season. We're just going to keep doing this. Yeah. uh, Forever. You're stuck with us. Sorry. Yeah. And we'll see you back certainly in the future for other books. But Mm -hmm. in the meantime, Aubrey, where can our listeners find you online? Um, So you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at OBSBOBS. And I do have a newsletter that goes out um, sporadically. That's just on Substack. And you can find the link on my Instagram profile. Excellent. Excellent. Jesse, where can our listeners find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at book. Jesse is better. Uh, and you can also find me on my podcast, the daily nightly, where we're covering currently Mansfield park by Jane Austen. We recently recorded an episode. That's probably my favorite episode we've ever recorded. Um, me and my co-host Annie that will hopefully be dropping soon. And I'm really excited about it because I'm really proud of it. Yeah. Exciting. And Tasia, where can people find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ragey Cakes. And I'm on Instagram at Rin underscore reads. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at ActiaAge. Um, you can choose an email if you'd like at ActiaAgePod at gmail.com. And if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, that would be extremely helpful for us. Other than that, uh, time for our announcement for our next book. Tasia, would you like to do the honors? I would. We are covering Lost in the Neverwoods next week. Uh, by Aidan Thomas, and it's a Peter Pan reimagining, I believe. So that should be fun. Neither of us have read it yet, so we're coming in very fresh. Yeah, we're coming very blind, fresh. It's going to be interesting to talk about something else for a change and yeah. see how that goes. But other than that, thanks everyone for listening, sticking through all our Grishaverse coverage, and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.